This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. She'll lift you up and empower you to help your child and your family thrive. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Welcome back to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. I am thrilled today to be talking to Angela Pruis about emotional intelligence and kids with ADHD. Welcome to the podcast, Angela. Will you start just by introducing yourself to the parents who are listening? Um, Let them know who you are and what you do? Of course. Thank you so much for having me on, Penny. Um, I, again, I'm Angela Pruce. I am a child and family therapist and have been working with kids in private practice for about 15 years now. I also, a few years ago, started to expand the support um, that I can give to families. And I started a website called Parents with Confidence. So I also write care about children's mental health, about nurturing our child's um, emotional well-being. And I'm also a parent to three kiddos and two who are neurodiverse. One who um, has ADHD is actually twice exceptional and has um, ADHD Mm -hmm. and processing and anxiety. And another who um, has ADHD inattentive and um, navigate some uh, health needs as well. So I'm a proud special needs mom on top of my work, which I love with um, awesome, exceptional special needs kiddos. Yeah. It sounds like you have your hands full. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I, I, I'm with bright, awesome kids a lot of the time, the majority of the time, which is tiring, but I love it and wouldn't change it for anything. Exactly. Yeah. So let's start by talking about what is emotional intelligence. Can you define what that means? Yes. So a really kind of just hit it over the head definition would be our ability to recognize, understand, and manage our own emotions as well as the emotions of others or the emotions in the context of our relationships. So, you know, really that's an overall kind of concept, but it really weaves into so many parts of our day and almost every single, you know, component of day-to-day life, we're using emotional intelligence skills. So this goes, starts from, you know, waking up in the morning and knowing how to you know, navigate whatever's going on within, you know, our, if we have a kiddo who has a hard time waking up in the morning, um, you know, how, how do they deal with that? How do we start our day? Moving through the day when we encounter frustrations, we all encounter mm-hmm. things every day that don't go the way that we expected them to. And how do we handle that as parents and as kids? And how are we, um, you know, really comfortable having a healthy acceptance of an awareness of what's going on within us and 
Exactly. So that's, that's pretty much um, an overall, an overall definition. And it sounds like ADHD would greatly impact this in a lot of ways um, because we're talking about emotional awareness, emotional regulation. Um, it sounds like social interactions would also play into um, someone's emotional intelligence. Yes, definitely. It really does affect all of our life skills. It's just such a vital, important concept that you know, I've seen in my clinical work that, you know, it just parents really aren't, don't have the vast majority of us don't have that awareness of how important it is to work with kids on with their emotional intelligence and with their skills and navigating the emotions within themselves and figuring out how to navigate those things and the concepts of peer relationships, family relationships. Um, you know, those things have really been shown in recent decades, so much research has come to light that has shown how much of an impact these emotional intelligence qualities have on overall life satis satisfaction. I know there was a lot of headlines for a while, um, you know, just talking about how all the focus, you know, has been on um, our IQ in the past, IQ, 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 and mm -hmm. now we're realizing that our EQ, our emotional intelligence, is just as, if not even more um, significant in terms of, you know, how our future will look. Will we be our, our personal fulfillment, our career fulfillment, um, our social fulfillment, and all of these things that contribute to our long-term well-being and happiness really start within us? Because if we have these abilities to manage and navigate the complexities of what goes on within, you know, the human mind and what goes on within us, we then have, are able to expand those things, those skills and apply them, um, you know, to other contexts in life. We're able to manage ourselves in school. You know, our child is then, um, you know, manage themselves in social situations and, really these things just lend themselves to, to really, really integral life skills. Yeah. And it sounds yeah. like it's really the, the next level of success above um, kind of having that, that baseline of needs met food, shelter, that sort of thing. Um, you know, it makes me think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how we build to fulfillment. I think this, concept of emotional intelligence is crucial for that it's it's crucial skills to kind of level up almost if we want to use our kids terminology yes I love that and I certainly 100% could not agree more <clears throat> I really think that that is really the heart of uh, my work at my website, Parents with Confidence, is helping parents really look at emotional well-being. And we focus so much on what's happening right now. And it is important to be able to manage what's going on right now. And certainly that um, is something that I'm sure we'll cover today. And, you know, equipping parents with those skills is very important. But really having a long-term perspective uh, like you mentioned, you know, looking future forward and what kind of skills, what kind of foundation are we providing our child for being able to navigate 
life, right? The ups and downs that are inherently a part of life. And if we can't navigate those things, that is where we see issues, you know, such high prevalence rates um, of anxiety and depression and internalizing Mm -hmm. um, behaviors, right? If we don't have those skills to manage what's going on within us, um, you know, problems, problems occur if we can't process through our emotions. Um, you know, we will adapt negative coping, unhelpful coping mechanisms, and those things get us into trouble. Those things really do lead to patterns that will create anxiety and depression. And I think the latest statistics are somewhere around 30% for anxiety for kids by the time they're, they reach adolescence. Yeah, which sounds kind of low to me, actually. Um, And I think by the time, yeah, maybe they've increased. I think that was a few years ago. And I know, I mean, I know that by the time adulthood comes around, it's somewhere around 60 or 70 for female at least. So I know it's... I think we get that societal push and then we don't focus enough on these um, emotional intelligence skills. And so, you know, we're pushing and stressing more with less ways to successfully cope. And, and that can be the downfall of that, I think. It's more anxiety and depression. Um, and you were talking about kind of looking at the big picture and success in the future. You know, we talk a lot about how we, as parents of um, atypical kids really need to shift our definition of success. But, you know, as you were talking about that, it reminded me that kids with ADHD struggle with that big picture a lot. Um, you know, a lot of them have time blindness and they see the here and now and the future. You know, I, I see all the time it's referred to as um, their timing is either now or not now. And, you know, it's really hard for them to kind of grasp the concept of future success or things that are out there so far ahead. And I think too, for parents raising challenging kids, we get stuck in the chaos and the frustration of today. And, you know, how do we help them succeed at school today? How do we help them get a decent grade on their report card nine weeks from now? How do we, you know, and, and so, we get so caught up in that that we do forget to think about this big picture and then what skills we need to be teaching our kids to reinforce what that is going to look like in the future, what, you know, that success can be for them. Um, I think, you know, it makes sense next to really talk about how do we kind of measure or gauge our kids' current emotional intelligence? How do we know what we need to work on, where the holes are? Yes, that's a great question. So many kids, I, you know, it's almost, it still surprises me that kids will come into my office and, you know, I'll kind of, we'll check in, we'll talk about what's been going on lately and with their day, with their week. And then I'll ask them to point to some emotions or even, you know, just to tell me, how did you feel about that? And really, you know, I'd say 70% of the time, if not more, I get a good or a bad as a response. Yeah. And I kind of, you know, tell them, let's stay a little bit deeper because technically, you know, did you know that those aren't even really considered emotions? They're really not 
um, technically feeling. So let's dig a little deeper and see if we can really put our finger on what's happening or what was happening in that situation. And they're really surprised and they kind of look at me like I'm crazy. Like, what do you mean? Good's not a feeling. Um, (laughs) and you know, I think it's because we really, as parents, so often we assume that our kids come into the world with these skills and know, you know, we just have the feelings, right? And we do have the feeling. We all do, which is why this is so important. However, what we don't have intrinsically is the ability to navigate those things. So we know there's emotions. We can feel, you know, our emotions in our body. We have that physiological component, but then how do we manage, how do we label them? How do we find the vocabulary and learn different words um, to be able to pinpoint exactly what we're feeling? Then how do we work through those emotions? How do we process them? That might be verbalizing them. Um, that might be working on coping, calming strategies, more on the physical, physiological end of things. Mm-hmm so many different pieces of it there. Yeah. And I, you know, what I always get from my son is fine. And it's just, I think this word that quickly gets him out of the question in his mind, or it's maybe his own coping mechanism to not have to think more deeply about what has happened during his day or, you know, when he gets in the car after school and I say, Hey, how was your day? Fine. I've learned to ask different questions because otherwise that's all the the answer I'm ever going to get. And I think that's what you're talking about here too, is how do we as parents um, question in different ways to help our kids think more deeply about their feelings? Yes, definitely. Definitely. So just starting with the basic, you know, I think that we, most parents listening, any caregivers listening know that navigating the journey of nurturing emotional intelligence is really going to look pretty different. Same basic concepts, but there's a few things that are going to look pretty different um, with a child who do, who is atypical, who does struggle with their executive functioning skills and that self-regulation piece, that impulse control piece that falls mm-hmm. under um, <clears throat> that umbrella. So, um, you know, really honing in on that long-term picture that you referenced that we were talking about before is so, so necessary to know that it will be so, so worth it. And the payoff will just be huge to continue to work, um, work at these skills and teach these skills and teach these skills and teach these skills, even when we don't see the results right away. I think with um, a neurotypical child, you may not see the results right away, but you, you may see, you will see them much more quickly. So I think that we see on a daily basis, you know, parents have atypical kiddos will can see that their kids um, just inherently struggle with regulating their emotions and managing Mm -hmm. their emotions. Um, We see that they struggle to vocalize how they're feeling. Their emotions often are communicated through their behaviors and not through, um, you know, verbalizations. I can see, you know, a difference even 
um, with my own kiddos. It's um, pretty amazing to see my four-year-old's ability, who's neurotypical, to express himself and to manage emotions at times and say, you know, I'm really mad. And he might be saying it in a loud voice and he might, you know, kind of squeeze his fists, but he, he really, those things come much more easily for him right. with our guidance, with our guidance. Um, but you know, we have to work really hard on having our long-term goal, um, with our, with our older kids and really knowing that, you know, this is something, as you mentioned, um, they're living in the moment. They have this, um, you know, several year delay in some of these skills and they're just going to need much more support, much closer support. And I think looking at it in terms of a journey really is what's important to kind of keep us invested in the day to day and really keep um, some of the strategies that I help parents learn and some of the coping um, strategies that are so helpful um, day to day really keeps keeps us looking um, you know to the future and keeps us invested in our long term goal with them. Right, and I think a tool that I really like to help kids with um, their feelings and being able to recognize their feelings and communicate their feelings appropriately is the incredible five point scale. I imagine that you have some tools that you like as well for that. Yes. Um, so as far as the overall picture with, um, you know, nurturing emotional intelligence with our kids, I find it helpful. And usually parents can, can really conceptualize it when we break it down into two, two different components. And then, um, you know, within the second component, I can share some, some tools that I like to use with families. So initially I think, Far and away, the biggest thing we can do to help support our kids' emotional intelligence and also the hardest thing to do is allowing our kid to have their feelings, allowing them to have and express their emotions. Mm -hmm. And that sounds so simple, right? It sounds like, well, of course. It's not. Yes, our, our behaviors as parents would show something else, I think, for most of us. Because I think, honestly, most of us, many of us were not raised, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. We really weren't keyed in to all these benefits of emotional intelligence. And we really weren't aware of all of the skyrocketing mental health problems going on um, with kids and with adults. So that really wasn't something that was emphasized. And so as parents, we really struggle, I think, at times with our own, navigating our own emotions and now navigating navigating them with our child, right? That's right. that, how to do this in the context of a relationship. So really working on ourselves as far as trying to regulate our own emotions, manage our own emotions, when our child is escalating or when our child, excuse me, is, you know, in a really escalated um, emotion space is so important because then we're making space for what needs to come out, for what they need to express, you know, express. um, And really we're putting aside our own 
emotional reaction and whatever's going on internally with us, whatever's being triggered from our past or um, happened, you know, that day, we're setting that aside and we're allowing our child to just simply have their emotions. And that is... I wanted to interject here just a quick example because um, I learned this to, to really not dismiss our kids when they are expressing their feelings um, from my kid's therapist many years ago. My daughter was really struggling, starting to have a lot of anxiety um, because of her brother's differences and his behavior and so forth in public. And so um, she started seeing the therapist as well. And on the first visit, you know, she said basically to my daughter, you know, tell me what's happening in your world, in your family, you know, what's causing you stress and so forth. She was, I think, nine maybe. And she started telling the story about how we should build an altar to her brother and bow down to it every day because that's basically what we were doing. And of course, my first instinct was to stop her from saying that because it wasn't true, you know, it wasn't reality. Um, And the therapist, you know, said, you're not allowed to speak while she's talking about how she's feeling. And um, because this is the true picture of what she's feeling, it may not be um, complete reality, but it's her expressing in her own way what her life feels like right now. Um, And that was a huge turning point for me as a parent to be able to say, okay, while that was obviously a gross exaggeration, it was how she felt. And I still needed to hear her out instead of try to put a stop to, you know, her tall tales. Um, And I think that's what you're talking about here is we really have to stop being dismissive when our kids are expressing how they're feeling, even if it's wild and crazy, it's still how they're feeling. Yes. I love that example. That really um, is just a perfect illustration of, yeah. you know, things that come up for us when, you know, our kids do express emotions. It can be really uncomfortable for us. Right. So in that moment, yeah you know, any parent would feel a little triggered. We're all of a sudden we're worried about, oh no, you know, is this really how they feel? And wait a minute, we're feeling defensive. That's really not the case, but oh my goodness, she's really feeling very strong about this. And I, you know, I want to defend myself and all of these things that could Mm -hmm. possibly be. Um, So being able to manage that internally and allow, allow her to express that. Um, So often I, I tell parents it's it's okay. You're going to have different perceptions in your child. You you really are, and especially I think with atypical kids, um, so often we you know they have their own perceptions of things. They really do. And, you know, I'll say with my own kids, like I really don't, I just don't see that. But in their mind, that is you know they perceived it in that way. And you know if I can allow them to just have the space to express it. So then along with allowing their emotions, as you uh, mentioned, also just validating them, having practicing empathy and validation go along with in that space with just allowing, allowing emotion, letting them feel heard and seen and validated that That is, we see them, we see how they're feeling. We are trying as best as we can to empathize with them and to understand how they're feeling. And 
that is, you know, a perfect example of what you just worked through. Um, and the situation with your daughter, right? She really yeah. was feeling intensely about this and, and given, you know, some of the stressful situations. Yes, I can, I can understand how, how she may be looking at it um, through that lens. So just, just doing that for our kids sometimes can be enough. Um, it's, it's definitely so, so powerful because our kids just aren't, aren't that used to being heard. And that's Mm -hmm. so, you know, I, it's so sad to me to say that all the time, but it, it's true. You know, we really just, as you said before, you know, it's a busy, it's a busy world. We have a lot of focus on productivity and, you know, staying busy and, we just get going so fast and almost get in this role of managing our kids that we forget to just stop and see them and let them, you know, express what they need to and that, you know, they deserve to be heard. They're, they're a human being. We all have emotions and we really do need to make space for those emotions. And that is step one. Um, And as far as the next piece that I talk about with parents is the teaching piece. And this piece is a little bit more concrete. It's a little bit easier to work through um, as opposed to that emotional piece of managing our own reaction and making space. And this is really, you know, the teaching aspect happens, should happen optimally, both preventatively and reactively. I think a lot often we try to do it reactively, right? We try maybe um, some caregivers listening are clued in on the importance of kids having a good, strong emotional vocabulary and maybe have, you know, used emotions, flashcards, or some sort of tools in those regards. Often parents will try to use those when their child's having a meltdown or, you know, when they're really in the midst of having a stress response. So it's really important to remember that if, again, if we're looking at that long-term picture and the building, building, building of this framework to eventually get to the point where they have these skills, um, teaching them when they are physiologically calm, when they are regulated, their, you know, their brain is integrated, working well, we have to be proactive about going over these things preventatively. So the first thing is really giving them that emotion vocabulary. We can't pinpoint, you know, what's going on internally and how we feel if we don't have the language to do that. And it's amazing how, you know, you'll, you'll name a feeling, maybe, um, you know, anger is one or, you know, mad is one that is commonly, chosen. But then if we look a little bit further and if I dig into it with a kiddo and have them, you know, think about, okay, but I wonder too, sometimes we have a lot of feelings at once. Oftentimes we have a lot of feelings at once. Could there be other things going on too? Could there be jealousy underneath the anger? Could there, you know, be hurt? All of these things and all of a sudden they're able to to recognize, yes, That is. And whoa, yeah, I do feel like that. And then really that's hugely powerful just to 
be able to acknowledge what's going in, what's going on within ourselves, because otherwise it's pretty overwhelming, right? We have these emotions swirling around. And if we don't know what's going on, it's, it's really overwhelming and we can't make that next step in navigating through them. So once we have that first step of being able to label our emotions, then we're able to start coping with them further. Then we're able to verbalize, possibly verbalize that emotion, which is hugely therapeutic, Mm -hmm. right? Any way that we can process through, that we can talk about it, that we can work through our feelings is just so, so powerful and being able to move on with our day. You know, those things are then expressed, they're processed, they're not going to be stuck, they're not going to be buried in our subconscious, they're going to be able to be let go. So with, so teaching the emotion vocabulary, and then when we have that, the next piece of coping strategies can come. So with our atypical kiddos, they really are going to need a lot more support and learning, exploring, navigating, coping strategies. So there are something that's so great is there's so many fantastic resources now, um, you know, as far as just having a huge range of different coping strategies. So something as small as getting a drink of water, right? All the way to something a little more complex, like going to sit down in a calming corner and doing, you know, some, some belly breathing with a specific technique or, um, right, or something like a weighted blanket or yeah. a fidget or something like that too. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so many great options. So because every kid is different, of course, every child's nervous system is different. We all are responsive to different things and different things will be calming and regulating to our nervous system. So mm-hmm. helping, you know, childhood, this is the time that we want to be experimenting with that. We want to be taking cues from our child, letting them, presenting them with different coping strategies. Um, often parents say, we tried this, we tried, you know, this emotions sheet and we tried these coping strategies and they worked for a few weeks and then they don't work anymore. And I say, Yep, that's very common because things change our, you know, the way that we respond to things, our child responds to things cognitively change changes, right? Especially with our really bright kiddos, they need novelty, they need something that's going to engage them. So we may have to change this up. Maybe there's one or two that are always going to be their go-to. Maybe they love their heavy blanket. They absolutely love, my um, kids have loved blowing out birthday candles. That's one thing that they have have really consistently gone to where you do, you know, deep breaths and with every inhale um, and then exhale, you put down one of your fingers. So we would slowly, slow as we possibly could blow out our 10 birthday candles. Do they always want to do that? No. Um, But that is something consistently that they've liked. But other than that, we've really done, um, you know, kids can can play around and try a lot of different things depending on their interests, depending on, um, you know, their stage of development and and where you are, you know, if you, what you have access to. Um, 
There's a wealth of ideas on Pinterest. I mean, you could spend days going through regulation tools and things that you can make at home, like calming jars and cloud dough. And, you know, there's just so much out there that you can try with your kids. And most of it is inexpensive or free. You know, a lot of times it's just um, a certain um, strategy, like breathing in a certain way or um you know, there are apps now that teach kids or walk them through different breathing um, activities or mindfulness activities that help in calming. Um, my son also liked blowing out candles. And there was actually, um, back when our kids still had the Wii, um, which seems to be out of phase now, but um, there mm-hmm. was a in, I think it was in the Wii Sports, there was um, this meditation thing, and it was a candle flickering on the screen, and you had to be still and calm enough that the candle didn't go out, and then another practice was to actually blow the candle out, and um, really interesting. There's just so many ways. We were doing occupational therapy for a long time, and that's where we started honing in on some different tools and strategies that worked for my son for regulation in those different emotional times. And, um, and like you said, it's constantly changing. I mean, it's been probably three or four years since he did occupational therapy and none of what we learned at that point is still anything that he goes to you know and and part of that is the difference in maturity and where he is he was 11 or 12 then he's 16 now so you know our kids just change constantly but there's so many different opportunities and ways to easily find ideas and try them out yes Yes, I think that is such a huge benefit to being, you know, a, a parent of a differently wired kiddo now or being, you know, just a parent in general. We really do have access to so many more resources and tools in regards to these important life skills, um, <clears throat> which I think is great. I'm sure you guys have, I would assume, have used um, zones of regulation. I know that's a tool that I really like to use with families, especially something to start with with younger kids. I think it's a great one that really helps to kind of streamline that process of, of figuring out, you know, how am I feeling right now? You know, dividing it up into those four basic areas, those four zones and really making it less complicated, you know, for them to process cognitively that, well, I'm feeling really angry because, because this happened and I'm also feeling this and this and this when they're young um, is going to be, is going to be, tricky. So to be able to say, you know, I'm in the yellow zone right now, enough said, you know, and then we have, um, you know, visuals is, are just so, um, just so important to just highlight what you said about, you know, there's so many great options out there and yes, quick search on Pinterest brings up so much and really those visuals, parents will try to work with kids, um, without visuals. And that is going to be an uphill battle because when we are, you know, when our emotion brain is activated, it is our, you know, our upstairs brain, our um, prefrontal cortex is going offline. We are not going to struggle um, to be able to process verbally. It's much easier to process if they have something that they can look at. They can look at their visual, they can see the emotions, and they can point. 
or they can, you know, bam it with their fist or they can take a toy and poke it or do whatever, whatever, um, they need to do at that point, but it just simplifies it so much more for them. And then also to have, um, you know, your emotions, visuals, and your coping strategy, um, visuals, which is what, you know, the zones of regulation really does is breaks that down in a visual form and tells you, you know, many different coping strategies, many different things you can do depending on where you're at, you know, are you, do you need a little pick me up? Do you need more energy? Um, do you want to do some things to really stay where you, are you feeling good? Are you feeling happy and calm? These things will help you keep that up. Um, are you feeling kind of irritated, kind of frustrated, just uncomfortable and uneasy? Well, then these things, you know, would likely get you back to where you want to be. Um, so those are really great visuals, uh, as you mentioned, that are oftentimes there's a lot of really good free resources, like you said, um, in mindfulness, which you hit with, um, you know, the apps and really where the breathing falls under is something I would highly recommend to parents. I mean, I won't even begin to talk about the research, but, um, it's just extensive. It's extremely powerful. And, um, Breathe Kids is an app that I really, really like um and that we like to use that makes it fun for our kids right they have to be they have to be engaged they're they're likely not going to be able to engage in some of the really basic kind of let's um sit and let's you know do xyz let's tune into our sense of smell and some days they they very well may be able to but um i think the apps are a great way to really keep them engaged and doing doing breathing doing mindfulness doing calming without a lot of the time, um, they don't, they don't really realize it. And when they're older, you can start talking more about that and being more intentional about really, um, letting them know, um, you know, what you're doing in the moment and beforehand, but it really just helps them to be able to experience, get to that calm place physiologically, which is much more of a challenge for, um, for typical kiddos and feel what that feels like, you know, so that they can, Where they want to go and where they need to go when they are feeling upset. Um, and then just the final piece with the teaching, I love to use the hand model um, from the whole brain child from Dan Siegel and right. Tina Harrison. And it's it's just so empowering for kids to know what's happening, right? Our kiddos have um have strong emotions and oftentimes they are not received well. Um, and they will begin to internalize, you know, what's going on, something's wrong with me. Um, and it's overwhelming and scary for them to have these big emotions. So really to learn about the, the different parts of our brain and that our emotion brain, you know, you're, it does hijack your thinking brain and you are a great kid and you had no intention of hurting anyone. And this is what, this is what was happening. Um, and we are going to work on, you know, supporting you so that, we can find other better ways because of course those aren't, those aren't good ways to get out our feelings, but you are doing your best and you're a great kid. And this is exactly what's causing this in your brain. Um, so talking about that, I think, yeah, is I think really- that was the biggest aha for me in 10 years, which only came a couple of years ago was the amygdala hijack and the physiology of the brain and what's happening when our kids are stuck or they're intensely emotional. Um, 
you know, the meltdown, understanding that there was something physiological behind all of that, and then understanding that there was no amount of rationalizing or, you know, talking them down, that that was never going to be fruitful was huge for me. But then that understanding also helped my son because anytime that our kids feel understood from us is huge for their self-esteem and for, you know, their ability to be resilient um, in different ways. You know, when they always feel bad and broken and like nobody understands them, that's really hard. And it really affects the emotions and their day-to-day behavior. Um, So for me, understanding that was monumental, um, not just in a shift of my parenting, but also in my own son's kind of self-confidence and self-esteem. And and it's funny, he's actually taking some online classes and some in-person classes in high school. And right now his online class is psychology. And we've been doing it together to make sure it gets done and stay on track. And um, he's actually learning all of these things and understanding himself and what is happening in his brain more. You know, he'll say, oh, that's why this happens to me or that's why I struggle with that. And it's amazing. It seems like it's kind of been a bit of a relief for him to understand that. So I think, you know, I wish I would have known much younger to have those types of conversations or even had that understanding myself, you know, but it, it can be hugely impactful for our kids to really have that deeper knowledge, not just to say you have ADHD, so your brain works different. And, you know, that's why um, sometimes you feel different. And for really little kids, I think, you know, that's really as much as they're going to understand at first. But when they're older, especially to go deeper into that, then I think that understanding helps them manage better as well. Yeah, I completely, completely agree. Just remembering that we are not, once we can gain that better understanding, that is super exciting when our kids can get a little older and start to have some of that metacognition or, you know, thinking about thinking and stepping out of ourselves, so to speak, and Mm -hmm. looking down, oh, well, this is happening for me right now. And essentially is being able to, we're working to help kind of, you know, help our kids understand that we are not our emotions. We can learn to be more in control of our emotions and, you know, if we're not proactively working towards this, we are really going to be going down the slippery slope of allowing our emotions to control us. So I can, I definitely think having those insights really, really speaks to, okay, you know, this is a universal thing. You know, I'm, these are all healthy things. My brain's working great. Um, You know, they're just things that need to be skills that need to be developed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this has been such an enlightening conversation. I know that parents are learning so much from you about how to really help their kids in this area. I don't think it's something that we naturally think about as parents. Did you have any final thoughts that you want to share before we wrap up? You know, um, I think it is definitely 
it's definitely a long term. It's a marathon and not a sprint. And that is mm-hmm. the mindset that I think is going to be most helpful. But, you know, think about the difference between finishing a sprint and finishing a marathon, the end results of working on building these skills, these emotional intelligence, emotional regulation skills, the payoff is going to be huge. And the resilience word that you mentioned um, is really a huge part. It's at the crux of it. It's being able to give them skills. We want them to be able to do, to do well academically, right? We want them, um, you know, to find their passion. We want them to find work where they can be happy and fulfilled, but really for these things to happen, they need to have the internal resources to be able to get there. They need to have that self-confidence to be able to put themselves out there, right? To apply to this job or that job, they need to be able to handle the highs and lows, the ups and downs that come with, you know, a high school that come with our first job that come with our first relationship or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and if we you know if those are the skills that will get them really, you know, at the end of the marathon, those are the skills that are going to enable us to see that our kid is, you know, thriving. They didn't just make it through school. They didn't survive. It does feel, it does feel like that. I just need to survive many days. But if we keep, you know, digging deep and really trying to be intentional about building these skills, our kids are going to do much more than get through school and get through childhood. They're going to have the foundation to be able to be fulfilled and really um, be self-confident and resilient and engage in meaningful, healthy relationships and just thrive. And that's exactly what emotional intelligence um, does. Yeah. And that's the goal for all of us. It just looks different. You know, it's a different path to get there. Um, I want to thank you so much, Angela. It has been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, For everyone listening, you can connect with Angela at parentswithconfidence.com. And you can look at the show notes, which will be at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 047 for episode 47. And I will link... um, as well to connect with Angela there, but also links for all of the resources and tools that we've talked about in this episode. So I encourage you to visit those show notes as well and get even more out of um, this episode and and, um, this conversation. And with that, we will end this show and I will see everyone on the next one. Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. If you connected with this episode, please share it on social media. Be sure to visit parentingadhdandautism.com to join the conversation and take advantage of Penny's online courses and summits, retreats, parent coaching, and fantastic bonus content.